Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, it's great to see you guys. I want to welcome you again to Blue Ridge Church, whether you're streaming with us online or you're here in person. If this is your first time here, I'll bring you up to speed on where we're at. Last week, we kicked off a brand new series called Past Tense. And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at our past and how to keep it in the past. You know, how not to bring it back into the present like we tend to do. And the reason we're doing this is because we all have a past, right? And if we don't deal with it, if we don't handle it properly, as we get further and further down life, it'll paralyze us and it'll really hurt us. So last week, Matt did a great job of kicking this series off, and he talked about the two things that we probably deal with the most from our past that prevents us from keeping things past tense, and that's our guilt and our shame. And he gave us some really great ways of how we should deal with that, how we can get rid of it, but showing us why we can't carry that guilt and shame through our life, that it'll only harm our relationships, those relationships that are the closest to us. And as Matt finished up last week, he he talked about sin. Because really, it's ultimately our sin, and we're all sinners, but it's our sin that, that carries, that brings that guilt and that shame into our life. And he told you that today I dig a lot deeper into that. Today's talk is going to be difficult. I'll just go ahead and tell you that up front. It's going to be difficult on all of us, those watching, those of us here. But how should we deal with our sin so that it truly stays past tense? And the the verse he left you with and left me with last week was Proverbs 28, 13. And I want to look at that again. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Now, let's be truthful. None of us probably believe that. Or there's a lot of times in our life that we don't believe that. And here's why. It's learning number one. We believe that it's best to keep our sins a secret. Right? That's kind of how we go through life. We think that we're smart enough. We think that we're intelligent enough. We think that we're creative enough to go through our entire lives without ever having to deal with the consequences of our actions. Right? We'll never have to talk about our struggles. We'll never have to admit what we deal with. So today we're going to jump into the Old Testament. And I want to look at a story about a guy by the name of David. And you probably know this character as King David. King David was known for his integrity. He was known for his loyalty, his dedication, his love for God. That's probably what he was most known for, is how much he loved and cherished his relationship with God. He was known for his leadership. Now, those of you that grew up in a church, you probably know some things about David. And we know a lot about David because the scripture in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel tells us a lot about his life. But if you grew up in church, the two stories you probably know about David were David versus Goliath, right? And David and Bathsheba. For some reason, those are the two stories that we remember. In the story of David versus Goliath, it's one that intrigues kids. 
And, and a lot of times we learn about it in Sunday school, we learn about it in vacation Bible school, but it's, a, it's kind of a good versus evil, right? If Goliath was alive today, he'd be the top billing as a UFC fighter, right? He, he would sell out every single venue he ever fought in. He'd have the most pay-per-views of anybody to ever walk the face of the earth. That's how amazing this guy was. And so David beats Goliath and defeats Goliath. So kids love that story, right? David's their hero. He's just an average person. But then the story that most adults remember is the story of David having a one-night stand with Bathsheba. Right? Because for us as adults, it's a story of failure. And we look at that story and we think, how could somebody who was so close to God go down this path in their life? When in actuality, it can happen to any of us. So what we're going to do is I'm going to focus on that second story about David, but I'm not going to focus like, you know, typically we do in church. I'm not going to focus on the sin of the affair, you know, that's for a relationship series. It's, you know, how to prevent an affair in your marriage, whatever. What I want to focus on is how David responded to his sin. And the actions David took after he sinned, because I think there's a lot that you and I can look at today and learn from David's actions on what to do and what not to do to truly keep stuff in our past, past tense. And so the story opens up in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. And if you're following along with our notes, they're available on that Church Center app. If you haven't downloaded that, I want to encourage you to download that sometime. Or you can just open your camera app on your phone and scan that QR code in your seat back. Those of you online, you probably already know where the notes are. But it starts off saying this, in the spring of the year... When kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So let's just stop right there for a minute. You kind of get the picture. David's got the Israelites at war. Usually the king is right there beside their soldiers when they're in battle. But David has taken a little time off from the battle. And, and he thinks, you know, victory is, is coming. So he leaves all of the command of the soldiers in the trusted hands of his sidekick, Joab. And here's how the story continues, starting in verse two. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah was currently at war. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Let's just stop right there. David does what all of us are capable of doing, right? He sins. He has an affair. He makes a decision that goes against everything he believes. He makes a decision that goes against everything he's been taught and everything he stands for. And I guarantee you, afterwards, he's thinking, that was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. I'm the king of of Israel. I'm a God follower. I love God with all my heart. I need to get this behind me. I guarantee you that's what went through 
his mind. I've got to distance myself from this. I can't let this happen ever again. But then in 2 Samuel eleven five, 5, he gets some more information. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Now, David finds himself in a position that many of us have found ourselves in before. And it's this. It's learning number two. Often when we sin, we reach a crossroads where we can either come clean or hide it. Right? That's that verse that Matt left us with that I started out with today. That Proverbs 28, 13. We can either confess it to the people who need to know, that need to be involved, or we can conceal it. We can try to hide it. And he knows he's messed up. So he's got this choice, and he's facing this crossroads right now because he's finding out that she's pregnant. And I guarantee if you look back on some of uh, my sin or your sin, you see this point where we were at this crossroads in our lives. Think about it like this. You are a student, and your teacher for the entire semester has given you one assignment. And it requires you reading four books. You got to write a 30-page term paper at the end of the semester. And it's going to take the entire amount of time. And so what the teacher does is about every two weeks, she just calls a couple of students to the front and have a one-on-one meeting. And just get an update. How are you doing on your project? You know, it's going to take the whole semester. This is a lot of work. And the teacher hasn't called on you. And, and over half of the semester is gone, and you haven't even started I'm not talking about my career in college, by the way, but you haven't even started it. You haven't even thought about it. And so the teacher finally calls you up about 10 weeks into the semester and asks you about that project. Now, you can either just confess it, I haven't started, I'm going to get right on it, or you can make up some elaborate story, lie about it, and conceal it. Or think about it like this, maybe you're married and and you and your spouse have had a conversation about something that you deal with, that that gets a grip on you. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's an inappropriate relationship with somebody at work, whatever. And and you've put it behind you. you. You've both come to grips with it. You've put it behind you and you've stayed away from it. But all of a sudden, the past couple of weeks, this addiction, let's say, has crept back into your life. And your spouse asks you about it. You can either just confess it Tell your spouse what's going on, or you can try to hide it. Or let's say you're a teenager, and you and your parents have decided there are certain people in your little friend group that you shouldn't hang out with anymore, and you agree with your parents. And so you've distanced yourself from these people. But over the past month, they've kind of been at the same parties, been at the same events as you, and you've been hanging around with them again. Well, your parents ask you about it. You can either confess it, Or you can try to conceal it. Let's face it. We have all found ourselves in this position. And a lot of times, we think it's so much easier just to keep it to ourselves. Right? Nobody gets hurt. No damage is done. I'll just keep it to myself and keep going forward in life. We believe And that's why that proverb is in there in the scripture. We believe that it's easier to simply hold on to it, that the consequences of 
concealing it are so much easier than the consequences of confessing it. And that's where David is at. I mean, he's got a lot at stake. For crying out loud, he's the king of Israel. What's he going to do? Admit that he took advantage of his position? Is he going to admit that he slept with his neighbor's wife? One of his best warriors? Is he going to admit that he let the people down that were following him? And the crazy thing, when you read the story, Uriah was one of his best warriors. Uriah was the guy who came to David's rescue when King Saul was trying to kill him. King Saul was the first king of Israel. David was the second. When King Saul was the king, he tried to have David killed because he felt threatened by David. Uriah protected him. So David dealt with it, this affair, the exact same way that you and I tend to deal with things. He just kicked the can down the road further and further. He thought the answer to his initial sin was just to sin more and to cover it up. And eventually, the problem will go away. He thought the answer to his original deception was just simply more deception. And David really believed that he could control the outcome of what he had done. So instead of David coming clean with it, he comes up with this elaborate plan. And he sends for Uriah, who, remember, is out fighting, and David's at home. He sends for Uriah to come back home. So let's read some more. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 6 through 8. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. So let me just tell you straight up what's going on here. David is hoping that Uriah is going to come back from war, go home, and make up for some lost time with Bathsheba. All right, that's, that's what's going on. He's hoping that Uriah's going to go home, he's going to sleep with his wife, she's going to announce that she's pregnant, and Uriah's going to think that it's his baby. Really what he's hoping is that Uriah doesn't know how to do math, right? He's hoping that he's bad at math. Because again, what does he believe? He believes the consequences of just keeping it to himself are far better than the consequences of coming clean with it and telling Uriah what has happened. Why does he believe that? More importantly, why do we believe that? Right? Why do we believe that keeping our sin to ourselves is far easier than just going ahead and confessing it to whoever needs to know or whoever uh, was directly involved? Why do we not see that it truly frees us when we follow that scripture verse to confess it? And I think this is why, learning number three, we hide our sin because we're fearful of what others will think and we're fearful of how they will respond, right? We're fearful that people won't like us anymore, or our spouse won't love us anymore, or if we're a teenager, our parents won't love us anymore. We're afraid if somebody else knows that we love what we struggle with, they're not going to respect us anymore. 
Our pride's an issue too, right? I don't ever want to admit that I'm wrong or that I've made a mistake. We simply believe that the path of covering up our sin is so much easier than just confessing it to whoever needs to know. We believe if we go down that path long enough of covering it up, it'll eventually go away. But we know it only makes things worse. So David's plan to get Uriah to go home to be with his wife, it doesn't work. He's too dedicated to the war effort, and he sleeps at the palace. He won't go home. So David thinks, well, I'll just get him loaded the next night, and then I'll send him home. And so he tries that. Uriah doesn't go home. So David doesn't know what to do at this point. And and as we read further in the book of 2 Samuel, we see just how desperate David becomes to cover his tracks. And he takes extreme measures. Listen to this, 2 Samuel 11, 14 through 17. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. I'm sure you get the picture of what David has done now to this man who was one of his most faithful soldiers and who actually had his back when David was in trouble. And the irony of this story, I don't know if you picked it up, but Uriah was the one who delivered the letter to Joab that David had written. And in this letter, David tells Joab in no uncertain terms, I want Uriah dead. He doesn't tell him why. He doesn't confess his sin. He just says, I want him dead. Another crossroads, right? David's reached another crossroads where he could simply come clean Tell Uriah what he's done or continue to try to cover it up. And so he tries to cover it up. And Uriah dies. A bunch of innocent guys die. And when you know, when you read this, you lose a lot of respect for David, don't you? I I was reading this uh, again last week, and I'm like, what a dirtbag. But then I had to remind myself who David truly was. Right? David wrote poetry. And songs to the Lord. He wrote, and I put it on your outline, Psalm 40, verse 8. How I love to do your will, my God. I keep your teaching in my heart. David loved God. Yet he had the husband of the lady he slept with killed to cover his tracks. The man who wrote Psalm 40, verse 8. How I love to do your will, my God. Meant that. David meant that from the bottom of his heart. But then he tried to cover up his sin. So is this eye-opening to you the way it was eye-opening to me? And it is. I know it's eye-opening to you. You know why? Because every single one of us are capable of doing the exact same thing. All of us. And of course, we don't really think that's going to happen. 
right? We say, oh, I'd I'd never do that. I'm beyond that. I'd never let that happen to me. Or if I got in this situation, I could rise above it. But think about this. David was called a man after God's own heart. It doesn't say in the scripture, Scott Openchain's a man after God's own heart. It doesn't say you are a man or a woman after God's own heart. But it happened to David. So let's not be so naive to think that we could never fall in to sin and then believe the lie, it's better to just cover up the sin. Whatever the sin is, it could happen to every one of us. Every single day we face temptation, right? And that temptation can lead us down a path of sin. And then it can tell us that, oh, it's better to conceal this from your husband or it's better to conceal this from your girlfriend. And listen, in David's case, his plan worked. It essentially worked, right? He covered drastic measures, but he covered his tracks. He gives, you know, if you read the rest of the story, he gives Bathsheba time uh, to mourn her loss. And I think it was 30 days was, the, uh, was customary. Then he brought her into the palace and he married her. And they announced that uh, they were pregnant, that they were going to have a baby. So it pretty much went as, as David planned it to go. But in covering his sin, he lost so much. He committed sin after sin to cover his sin. And I guarantee you, you know, we can all see, gosh, if he'd have just sat down and talked with Uriah and begged for forgiveness, this is what I did with your wife. It would have been a lot easier, right? If he'd have just confessed it right up front, Bathsheba already knew, you know, what happened. He just needed to talk to Uriah. Been a lot less messier. There'd still be, you know, those guys wouldn't have died. Uriah wouldn't have died. He lost so much because of the way he dealt with the sin. Not the fact that he sinned for crying out loud, we are all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. It's the way he tried to handle it after the fact that got him into trouble. He lost men. He lost his reputation. I guarantee he lost the respect of the people he was leading. And if I had some way to be able to bring David, you know, here and put him on stage, and I guarantee you he would tell us, yeah, I regret that I had an affair. But what I regret the most is how I handled my sin after that affair. What I regret most is how I handled my sin and how I tried to cover up my sin. I bet he would say he just would rather Uriah know what happened. Let's work this out the best we can instead of the extreme that he took it to. And so I think I know I can learn a lesson and have learned a lesson from this story of David. And hopefully you can as well. Whatever your issue is, whatever my issue is, we need to deal with it. We need to confess it to who needs to know and put it past tense. Because as long as we keep things to ourselves, as long as we try to hide our sin from our wife or our husband, or our mom and dad, if we're a teenager, 
or a young, young kid, we're never going to be as ultimately close as we could be, right? Because deceit and closeness, they just don't mix. So if you've got an issue today that's not truly past tense, it's not staying past tense, let's talk about how to, to keep it past tense and not to bring it back and relive it in the present. So learning number four, the best course of action is to confess the sin to the person who needs to know. In David's case, it would have been Uriah. Maybe his trusted advisor, but Uriah. You don't have to post it on social media, but you need to talk to the person that needs to know. If it's your husband, you need to talk to your husband. If it's your wife, you need to talk to your wife. If it's your teenager and it's your parents, you need to talk to your parents. And I know what you think as a teenager. Oh my gosh, if I, if I tell my parents this, they are going to kill me. They're not going to kill you. You might limp for a while, but they're not going to kill you. All right? Whoever needs to know, you need to let them know. And if you're an adult and you're married, your parents probably don't need to know. But your spouse does. Or your boyfriend or your girlfriend needs to know. We should Confession should be easier than we make it. Right? Because we're all messed up. Don't we say that a lot around here? We're all screwed up. So if I confess something to you, you should be like, man, I get it. I've done something similar or I've fallen into something myself. But we like to walk around and pretend like we don't have any issues. There's churches full of people like that all over the world. Oh, yeah, I used to sin when I was really young, right? But I got it all together now. Victory in Jesus or whatever. I don't struggle. I don't have any lust. I don't have any jealousy. I don't have any greed. I don't have any issues. That You need to be more like me. If you want to go through life and pretend that's you, that's fine. But the rest of us know better. Because every single one of us are messed up. So we've got that in common. So when we confess things to each other, it should be easier than we make it. We're all in need of God's grace. No matter where you think you are, you're in need of God's grace. The Apostle Paul called himself the chief of sinners. And Paul was probably the closest human being in character to Jesus than anybody that's ever walked the face of the earth. And he says, I'm the chief of sinners, and people didn't even believe him. But he wasn't he lying because none of us are without sin. None of us are righteous. None of us are, are perfect. So when we confess we should understand that. Well, how do I know if I've got something to confess? If you falsely presented yourself in a relationship to someone, marriage, dating relationship that's gotten really serious, and you're not who you say you are, you probably got something to confess. Or if you've tried to confess, you know, uh, portray yourself in some manner spiritually or relationally or in the business world that that's not who you are, you probably need to, to come clean with that. You know, we, we got to give people an opportunity to love us for who we are. Right? Not who we're pretending to be, but give them an opportunity to love you for who you are. And if you have to confess that sin to someone you love, then run from it after you've confessed. Set up boundaries. Do whatever to protect yourself in the future. 
I know this is painful to confess. We're actually going to probably do a, uh, a, a series this summer about repentance and confession because it's so important in our life. But when we do that, it brings it past tense and leaves it past tense. We get all kinds of healing when, when we confess. And listen, the, the, aside from anybody else in your life, the person you really need to confess to first and foremost is who? It's God, right? God's the only one that can forgive sin. He ultimately is the one you need to have the conversation with. Look at Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And after you've confessed with God, there may be somebody else that needs to know. Again, only the appropriate person. And hopefully, I've given you an idea how to identify that today. If not, you set up a time to talk to me. But confession brings healing, emotional healing, relational healing, spiritual healing, healing from what Matt talked about last week, healing from our guilt and our shame. Now, real quick, in the time we have left, let me just say this. Some of you may have already told who needs to know, but the issue is not past tense. And I think that's because you haven't forgiven yourself. You know, when, when Jesus talks about forgiveness, when God talks about forgiveness all throughout the scripture, you know, forgive people who have wronged you and, and, and treated you badly, he's also talking about us being able to forgive ourselves. I'm pretty good at forgiving other people. I'm terrible at forgiving myself. When I let somebody down, when I do something that I shouldn't have done, we got to forgive ourselves, first and foremost, if we want something to truly be past tense in our life. And I think it's hard to forgive ourselves, too, because we look at a story like this today and think, oh, my gosh, if, if David, a man after God's own heart, sinned and blew it, what hope is there for me? And I think the reason we think that is because we, we look at our faith or we look at the Bible, and we think, well, the point of our faith and the point of the Bible is just to live your life good enough so that God will take you to heaven when you die. Listen, it is so much deeper than that. The point of our faith and the point of the scripture each and every week is to point us to a God who loves us unconditionally and gives us grace when we don't deserve it. Right? To point us to a God who gives us grace when we don't even ask for it. God even gives grace to people and they don't even appreciate it after they get it. The point of our faith and the point of the scripture and the point of coming here each week is to show us we can't get past our sinfulness, our selfishness, all the issues that we carry on our own. But Jesus can. The point of our faith is constantly to point us to Christ. Right? Who can make any issue in our life, I don't care what it is, truly past tense. Because he's the one that ultimately forgives everything. So many times I hear people talking about faith and, and they just want to make people feel bad about how they've lived their life or what they've done in their life. I go to funerals sometimes and I just beat my head against the pew in front of me, thinking this isn't a time to, 
to point out what people have done wrong. We have all done wrong. Don't ever pretend that you haven't. But know that Jesus makes everything right. He truly forgives everything. He just wants us to handle it correctly so that we don't do more damage on down the road because of our sin. That we minimize those consequences going forward. And by and large, all the time, the, the consequences of simply confessing it to the person or, or, or the couple of people that need to know are far easier consequences than trying to conceal it and trying to cover it up. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you love us. I'll be honest, it's, it's really, really hard for us to imagine that you love us unconditionally. Meaning right now, you don't love me any less than you did yesterday or any more than you did yesterday. You don't love me any less when I do something bad in my life. Lord, thank you for your unconditional love for all of us. Lord, we all have issues. I don't think that comes as a shock to you this morning that we're telling you that. That's why you sent your son Jesus to this earth. Because Scott's got a sin problem. Lord, I would ask that you show us, first and foremost, just in our heart, what we haven't confessed to you. Ultimately, we've talked about, you know, confessing, but ultimately we need to confess to you. Because you're the one that forgives us. And then, Lord, if there's a person in our life that we haven't told what's going on in our life or we pretended to be somebody that we aren't, we need to talk to them. Would you lay that on our hearts? Lord, and we know that that ultimately brings us healing. You give us healing instantly because you forgive us instantly. But you want us to be healed on this earth. No matter what goes on in our lives and in our relationships, you want them to work. Lord, I thank you for these people. Lord, I know this is a a difficult talk for any of us to hear. But it shouldn't be. Because you're not trying to beat us up. You're trying to lead us to your son. Maybe you're watching and you're here today, or you're here today, and, and you've never invited Christ into your life. Maybe you did feel like you could never be as good as those people were portraying that they were. And so you stayed away from church, you stayed away from the Lord. Let me tell you, the Lord gives us grace and we don't deserve it. He loves us all equally and unconditionally. And if you've never invited him into your life, it's not about what you do and what you can't do or, you know, if you sin or if you don't sin. It's about having a relationship with the Savior of the world. To, yes, go to heaven when we die, but it's much bigger than that. To know that with Christ we can overcome anything. So if you've never invited Jesus in your life, let me encourage you, don't put that off. Open your heart and invite him in. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for our community. Thank you for the other churches in our community. Lord, help us as followers of Christ to be who you created us to be. Flaws, sin, 
hang-ups and all. And help us to still be a part of helping other people to find you and to follow you. In Christ's name, amen. As we finish up today, uh, just want to let you know that our Trail Life and American Heritage Girl groups here at the church are going to be helping uh, to our house, which is our local homeless shelter. And they're actually collecting new and used, gently used sleeping bags, tents, uh, different thing for our homeless population here in the county and beyond. Uh, a lot of you, you gave up on camping many, many years ago. So just get those sleeping bags out of the closet, bring them in here, and we'll put them to good use uh, with folks that are homeless. You can get more information. They'll be set up out in the lobby with the flyer you can take home, or there's information on our website about that as well. If you came today worshiping through generosity, you know how to do that. Uh, if you accepted Christ for the first time, would you fill out that electronic connection card and just put a check mark on that top box, and I'll send you some stuff in the mail to help you on your journey. I, I know today was tough, but hey, we want our past to stay past tense. So I appreciate you being here. God bless you. Have a great week.